0: Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13.
1: On Thursday, October twenty-second, 1931, 26-year-old Winnie Ruth Judd walked into the Broadway department store in downtown Los Angeles in a daze. She didn't know why she had come. She had no money, but as Ruth stepped through the revolving doors and inhaled the perfumed air, she felt safe.
0: Inside, dozens of fashionably dressed women browsed makeup cases and clothing racks. Ruth hadn't changed her own clothes in days. Her hair was a mess, and her stockings were torn, but she entered the sea of elegant shoppers all the same
1: she spent the day wandering the store before settling in the ladies shoe department she sat there for hours until eventually the
0: people dwindled and the lights went out in the dark ruth suddenly felt cold she pulled her fur coat tighter around her trembling shoulders but she couldn't stop shaking
1: it was all coming back the screaming the gunshots and the blood oh god so much blood Ruth began to hyperventilate. She had to tell her husband.
0: Ruth scrambled behind a cashier counter, found a pad of paper and a pencil, and began to write, putting the awful memories in long, scrawling cursive.
1: But as she finished, a wave of calm washed over her. There would be a time for the truth, but not now.
0: Ruth ripped up the letter, took it to a stall in the ladies' bathroom, and flushed it down the toilet. She watched as the pieces of her story, her shame, swirled and disappeared, but they wouldn't be gone for long.
1: Welcome to Solved Murders, True Crime Mysteries, a podcast Original. I'm your host, Carter Roy.
0: And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. Every Wednesday, we step into the world of true crime's most fascinating murder cases and tell the tale of how real-life detectives closed the case.
1: You can find episodes of Solved Murders and all other ParCast originals for free exclusively on Spotify. To stream Solved Murders for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Solved Murders in the search bar.
0: This is our second episode on Agnes Leroy and Hedvig Samuelson two best friends and roommates who were brutally murdered in Phoenix, Arizona, in 1931. Last week, we stepped into the two women's lives, uncovered their drama and secrets, and discussed the grisly discovery of their murder.
1: This week, we'll follow detectives as they launch an investigation to uncover what truly happened the night of their murder. We'll cover the scandal that may have led them astray as well as the series of confessions and trials that brought the case to its conclusion. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us.
2: Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Moneymaker play the game and you could win money up to $2 million with more than 88 million in prizes ranging from 50 to $500 moneymaker cuts right to the cash lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations play responsibly
0: it feels like we're all being told to go on this diet take that supplement Ozempic will give you depression but you know what'll cure that weed or
1: you could try to balance your hormones at science versus we're like what the is going on Forget the crap online and listen to Science Verses. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries.
0: That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon.
1: On Monday, October 19th, 1931, LAPD Detective Frank Ryan arrived at Los Angeles' Central Station to inspect some suspicious luggage that had arrived from Phoenix. When he unlocked the dilapidated trunks, he found the bodies of 32-year-old Ann Leroy and 24-year-old Sammy Samuelson inside.
0: Soon, the train station was teeming with detectives and forensics. They found that the luggage not only contained the victims, but a variety of vital evidence, including the murder weapon. The killer clearly hadn't anticipated being caught.
1: But as Detective Ryan interviewed the delivery clerk who had handled the trunks, it became clear that they may have more than one suspect.
3: So this young lady hands you her claim tickets. Right, but actually she
4: didn't hand them to me. He did.
3: He? She was with a man?
4: Yeah, a young fella. Tall with freckles all over. Looked like a college boy to me. Bookish, clean cut, you know the type. Sure,
3: so she was with this young man and he hands you the tickets.
4: Right, and then I took him out to the trunks, cause, you know, the things stink to high heaven, and asked him if they could smell anything. But the lady tells me she doesn't smell a damn thing. What
3: about her companion?
4: Well, he just looks at her with this horrified look on his face and tells me he can smell it. Interesting. Then I ask her, ma'am, please open the trunks. But she tells me she can't find the keys said she'd have to fetch them and bring them back to the station then what then they left and never came back
0: from the get-go detectives had a strong lead only a small number of young women had taken the night train from phoenix to la that morning
1: that night the lapd contacted the phoenix police after communicating with officers in arizona L.A. detectives figured out that only one of the women who'd been on the train knew Ann Leroy and Sammy Samuelson, 26-year-old Winnie Ruth Judd. Not only did she know the girls, she worked with Ann at the same medical clinic. The three women had even lived together at one point.
0: But oddly enough, neither Ruth nor Ann had shown up for work that Monday. As police interviewed Mrs. Ernest Smith, the medical clinic's receptionist, Things only got stranger.
2: So Miss Judd called in first, is that
5: right? That's right. She told me she would be arriving late for the Saturday shift. And how did she sound? I'd say a bit flustered, but then just minutes later, I got a second call from Anne. And then she told me she wouldn't be coming in for work at all.
2: Is it unlike Miss Leroy to be so unreliable?
5: She wasn't our best x-ray tech. To be honest, the doctors weren't very happy with her.
2: And why was that?
5: they didn't approve of Anne's lifestyle.
2: Could you be more specific?
5: Well, uh, you see, she lived with Miss Samuelson, and Phoenix is a family community. It's quite strange to have unmarried women living together here, so the doctors thought. They thought they were maybe together.
2: I see, and what did you think?
5: It's none of my business what goes on in people's personal lives. But Anne skipping out on work was unprofessional, so I had Dr. Baldwin get on the line to speak with her.
2: Did you hear his end of the call?
5: Well, I heard both ends, actually. I was still on the line. And as I listened, I realized that it didn't sound like Anne at all.
2: Who did she sound like?
5: Ruth Judd.
1: As LA detectives received more intel from investigators in Phoenix, They had strong reason to believe Ruth Judd was Sammy and Anne's killer, or at the very least an accomplice to their murder. It was incredible progress in a short amount of time,
0: but detectives
1: still had questions.
0: Were Anne and Sammy lovers? And if so, did their sexuality have anything to do with their murders? But more importantly, who was the young man who'd come with Ruth to the train station?
1: It didn't take long for detectives to find out. The description of the young man matched that of Burton McKinnell, Ruth's younger brother. And as it happened, Burton was a college student in Los Angeles at the time.
0: Detectives learned that Burton and Ruth were very close. He became an immediate suspect and just hours later, police tracked him down.
3: All right, Mr. McKinnell, we have quite a few questions for you tonight. And I assure you, I have answers. Right, well, let's start with this. At what time today did you first see your sister? Around
4: 11 this morning. I hadn't seen her in months, so it was shocking to see her on campus just out of the blue. Did she tell you why she'd come? Not exactly. She just asked me to get my car, said she needed me to pick up these trunks from the station so we could drive them to the ocean and
3: sink them. That's a rather strange request. Did you ask her why she wanted to sink them? Of course. I asked her why such
4: drastic measures and she told me she didn't want me to ask any questions. That the less I knew, the better off I would be. And a sentence like that has a certain amount of significance. It certainly does. When did you realize how
3: significant it was?
4: I anticipated there was something wrong, of course, or she wouldn't want the trunk sunk at sea. But when we went to the station, that smell. I just had a horrible feeling. When we left, I asked her, what's in that trunk, a man or a woman? And she said, Burton, I'm not going to answer any questions. And then she said she could justify everything. Did you ask her what she meant by that? I did not. I told her I thought she needed to concentrate on the next step, and then we were silent for some time. And then she asked me for money because she said she had to leave. She didn't tell you where she had to go? No. I just told her. I think that is the best thing you can do. And I only had five dollars so I gave it to her and said, I wish you all the luck in the world kid. Then she got out of the car and walked away. Do you have any idea where she is now? I swear to you, I don't. I haven't heard from her since.
1: Detectives had hit a wall. Not only was Burton McKinnell off their suspect list, Ruth Judd had vanished. The L.A. press would have a field day when they discovered a double murderess was at large in their city. Detectives had no time to lose.
0: California and Arizona authorities immediately coordinated efforts to track Ruth down. It was a massive undertaking. Hundreds of men were put on the ground to form a dragnet that spanned state lines.
1: But the hunt for Ruth wasn't the only search on detectives' minds were also looking for the rest of Sammy's body.
0: Sammy's corpse had been separated into three pieces. Inside the two trunks were her torso, her head and arms still attached, and her lower legs. But the middle portion of her body, from her waist down to her knees, was still missing.
1: It wasn't until late that night, long after detectives had left the train station, that anyone checked the women's restroom.
2: Oh, God. Not again.
1: Stacked behind the ladies' room door was a hat box and an old suitcase. The LAPD was immediately notified, and at 11.20 p.m., Detective Davidson arrived at the station to confirm their suspicions. The rest of Sammy's body was inside the luggage.
0: The bags were rushed to the morgue. There, once Sammy's body had been examined, the coroner realized that her intestines and bladder were missing. Stranger still was how she had been dismembered. Detective, you may want to see
6: this. What is it? I just reassembled Miss Samuelson's body.
2: My god, she looks complete.
6: Exactly. The cuts were so precise, I was able to stitch together the pieces almost seamlessly. This was no hack job. Whoever did this knew what they were doing.
2: Looks like our girl had some professional help.
1: This was no surprise to Detective Davidson. After all, Ruth Judd was a small woman, frail even. The idea that she'd managed to cut up Sammy's body on her own, much less haul both women's corpses around in luggage, seemed absurd. However, the theory that a man was involved, especially a doctor, made perfect sense. And Davidson already had a suspect who fit the bill. Dr. William Judd, Ruth's
0: husband. Dr. Judd, or Doc, as Ruth lovingly called him, was 22 years her senior. Because of his morphine addiction, the couple had lived apart for most of their marriage. Doc spent his time in and out of sanatoriums while Ruth supported herself in Arizona. But luckily for the LAPD, he'd recently been spending time in L.A detectives began
1: theorizing that Ruth had traveled to L.A. to ask him to help her with the evidence, making him an accessory to murder. Or perhaps he'd even made the trip to
0: Phoenix to help his wife with the murder itself. But they were quickly disappointed by their new lead. When they interrogated Doc, detectives discovered he not only had a bulletproof alibi, he had no idea where his wife was.
2: Dr. Judd, I'm afraid I'm going to have to ask you again. Do you know where Ruth could be right now? Any friends places? Old haunts, maybe?
4: I already told you, I don't know. I didn't even know she was in Los
2: Angeles. Wouldn't you say it's unusual for a man not to know his wife crossed state
4: lines? Yes, and I've been worried sick. She could be hurt or in danger. Well, she could be in a whole lot of trouble. My Ruth is an angel. A minister's daughter, for God's sake. You said she
2: has a history of being, uh, unstable. Could you be more specific? Was it nerves? Hysteria?
4: All I could say that if she was somehow involved, she'll be in an awful state.
2: Well, then perhaps it's in her best interest that she's found. But we need your help. I told you I don't know where she is. But odds are you will. She's in a big city. Confused. Scared. Most likely she'll reach out. And when she does,
4: we need to get the truth. Like I said, I don't think she will be in any state to say what happened. Not coherently. If I bring her to you, she must get treatment first. I want her to be observed at an asylum for one month. Can you promise me that? You
2: have my word.
1: Detectives continued their massive search efforts, but by midweek, they were still empty handed it seemed their murderess had simply vanished.
0: Detectives never would find Ruth. Instead, four days after they launched their investigation, she handed herself in. That Friday afternoon on October 23rd, Ruth surrendered at the Alvarez and Moore funeral home, right in Los Angeles. Well,
1: it turns out she never even left the city. Ruth had been hiding out in the Broadway department store in downtown LA, less than two miles from the train station.
0: She'd been right under their noses the entire time, but it was no wonder Ruth Judd hardly looked the part of a killer.
1: As she stepped out of the funeral home, Ruth had the appearance of a walking corpse. She was impossibly thin and her gaunt face was filled with pure bewilderment.
0: Dr. Judd stood beside her, his thick arm around her frail shoulders. Almost as soon as they walked outside, Ruth broke down.
6: I had to shoot her. I had to.
0: (laughs) Those words change the
1: entire case. Ruth Judd claimed to have killed
0: in self-defense. Coming up, the investigation takes a twist detectives never imagined. And now, back to the story.
1: On Friday, October 23, 1931, after just four days of investigation into the murders of Agnes Ann Leroy and Hedvig Sammy Samuelson, 26-year-old Ruth Judd finally surrendered to police. But her story was far from the one they expected. She claimed she'd killed them in self-defense.
0: As Ruth surrendered to police, an attorney Dr. Judd had hired read her statement to the press. Ruth claimed she got into an
1: argument with the girls. Sammy threatened to kill her and brought out a gun. A struggle then ensued between all three women in the kitchen, but Ruth grabbed the gun first and shot them both. No one else, no other accomplices or witnesses were mentioned in her statement.
0: To detectives, this seemed like a highly convenient story but ruth had evidence she claimed sammy had shot her during the struggle and she still had the bullet in her hand to prove it
1: ruth was rushed off to an la hospital to have her hand treated days after being shot the wound was already riddled with gangrene and she would have to be sedated to have the bullet removed
0: dr grace line examined ruth while her attorney and dr judd sat by her side As Dr. Haman asked questions, Ruth explained more of her story. Mrs. Judd, I'm seeing quite a few bruises. Dozens,
6: really, all over your arms, legs, and your back. I imagine I got those while Sammy and me were rolling around on the kitchen floor, fighting for the gun. And Anne, the whole time, she was hitting me over and over with the ironing board.
2: All this happened in the kitchen?
6: That's right. That's where Sammy attacked me. And that's... that's where I shot him.
4: <laughs> Darling, are you sure no one else was there? Before or after? Not that Mr. Haller you're friends with.
6: No, it was just me and them and they came at me first. They were going to kill me.
4: I know, I know. I'm sorry.
1: Ruth's account of the murders left detectives with more questions than answers. If she killed in self-defense, why tamper with the bodies? What innocent person would cut up a corpse and then ship it across state lines?
0: Something more was going on under the surface, and detectives knew they were going to have to dive deeper to find out. The press, however, had made up their minds. In the court of public opinion, Ruth Judd was guilty. From the moment
1: journalists got wind of the so-called trunk murders, the case was front page news across the country. For weeks, Ruth Judd was the subject of national notoriety.
0: They called her the Blonde Butcher and the Trunk Murderess. Papers reported outlandish stories demonstrating the extent of her depravity. The New York Daily Mirror even claimed she fed bits of her victims to her pet cat.
1: Though these articles seemed to be nothing but tabloid fodder, the press was certainly right about something. Underneath Ruth's claim of self-defense seemed to be something much darker. And soon, detectives investigating the crime scene found several holes in her story.
2: I think I'm going crazy. Still nothing? I've been searching this kitchen since we got here and haven't found a scrap of evidence.
3: Well, keep looking. They were supposed to be shot right here on the floor. Did you check under the countertops?
2: Yes. This whole dumps the size of a shoebox. I've looked at each square of tile 12 times already. <sighs> I think we checked the bedroom. Bingo.
1: When they checked Anne and Sammy's bedroom, detectives found both mattresses were missing. And nearby, past the baseboard of Anne's bed, they discovered a blood
0: splatter. Most suspiciously, a patch of carpet had gone missing from the corner of the room. It looked like the patch had been haphazardly cut out with scissors.
1: Detectives soon realized where the piece had gone. It was the
0: same scrap of blood-stained carpet they had found among the evidence in the trunks. Clearly something happened in Anne and Sammy's bedroom, and it did not fit Ruth's version of events that the crime had been contained to the kitchen. Something was off.
1: In addition, if Ruth was the only killer, detectives couldn't understand how she'd managed to handle the bodies alone. She had to have an accomplice.
0: Even the state agreed. Phoenix's county attorney, Lloyd Andrews, told as much to reporters.
4: From the evidence gathered by police, it would be foolish, considering all we have learned, to go on the theory Mrs. Judd alone was responsible for the slangs. She is a woman of slight build, and it would have been impossible for her alone to have handled the bodies. There is little doubt a man was involved.
1: County attorney Andrews issued Ruth a warrant charge for first-degree murder, but it wasn't just for her. He also filed warrants for two unknown men. Even the idea of one man handling the bodies didn't seem likely.
0: But just a few days later, Andrews changed his theory. He declared that it was in fact possible that Ruth killed and handled the bodies alone. But he gave no explanation as to how.
1: Why County Attorney Andrews and the rest of the officials changed their tune is a mystery. But journalist Jana Boomersbach, author of the investigative book on the case, The Trunk Murderess, has a theory. And it stems back to a certain prominent Phoenix businessman, 44-year-old Jack Halloran.
0: As detectives dug deeper into the case, more and more threads were being traced back to Happy Jack. While interviewing Ann and Sammy's friends and co-workers, they discovered Jack often went to the girls' home. There, Anne and Sammy entertained all matter of Phoenix's affluent men.
1: Anyone who really knew Happy Jack knew he was something of a playboy who'd had plenty of affairs so detectives had reason to believe his relationship with the murdered women was more than just friendly. Even more significantly, Ruth Judd was his main girl.
0: Investigators realized they'd stumbled on a scorpion's nest. They'd uncovered a love quadrangle between three young women and one of Phoenix's most politically connected citizens. That realization would change the entire course of their investigation.
1: According to author Jana Boomersbach, It's likely that Jack Halloran and his many influential friends were acting behind the scenes to keep the scandal from surfacing. Detectives stopped looking for a second suspect, right around the same time that the county attorney changed his tune.
0: Perhaps it wasn't a coincidence that County Attorney Lloyd Andrews and Jack Halloran golfed at the same country club. In fact, When reporters later asked Andrews directly about Jack's involvement, he practically laughed in their faces.
4: (sighs) That's nonsense. Jack Halloran is a friend of mine. He's a fine fellow.
1: But though Andrews tried saving Jack from the courts, there was no saving Jack from the press.
3: Mr. Halloran, who are you? Mr. Halloran, I'm with the Los Angeles Examiner, and I'd like to ask you a few questions. Uh, Listen, kid,
2: I'm not answering questions. Now, if you don't mind, you're in the way of my shot.
3: I promise I'll be quick. I don't want you quick, I want you gone. About the trunk murders case, sir, how does it feel to know that you may be a suspect in the murder of two of your many lovers? No comment. Well, that's a shame. Maybe your wife will have some colorful opinions. Listen. I have nothing to do with that case. I knew the girl, sure.
2: I'm a popular guy, I know everybody. I'm guilty of nothing more than association.
3: I'm sure Ruth Judd will say the same when she's facing the noose.
0: The truth was, Ruth had barely uttered a word about Jack since she'd been apprehended. There was no mention of him in her account of the murder, much less in any other regard. According to Ruth, Jack was in no way involved.
1: Then, a piece of evidence surfaced that exonerated Jack, and it was written in Ruth Judd's own hand.
0: On Sunday, October 25th, 1931, a plumber was called to the Broadway department store in downtown Los Angeles to clear a clogged drain. But rather than the usual gunk, he fished out something unusual from the pipes, a soaking wet pile of paper.
1: Faint pencil was scrawled across the torn, translucent sheets. And as he peered closer, he could barely make out the first and last lines of a letter. It began with darling, but the last sentence made his blood run cold. It read, I killed in defense. Love me yet, doctor.
0: The LAPD was called immediately. They realized they had uncovered Ruth Judd's confession letter.
1: She'd written it just three days before, while in hiding, but clearly had changed her mind about posting the note. Whatever she wrote had to be so damning she felt the need to destroy it. As they pieced the torn pages back together, detectives were sure they were about to crack the case, but they were sorely mistaken.
0: The letter was Ruth's confession to her husband, but it was the same old story. She had killed Sammy and Anne in self-defense after an argument turned violent. But this time, she explicitly mentioned Jack.
6: I don't want to bring Mr. H into this. He has been kind to me when I was lonesome. And he has trusted me with many secrets of all he did for the girls. He's been a decent fellow. It would separate he and his wife, and he has been too decent.
1: Ruth had not only exonerated Jack in her own words, she'd done it before she was even caught. In one letter, she'd absolved him of all guilt.
0: But in the process, she damned herself. When we return, the fate of the case is taken to the courts. And now, back to our story.
1: In October of 1931, 26-year-old Ruth Judd claims she alone killed Lee Roy and Sammy Samuelson in self-defense. However, as detectives continued their investigation, they uncovered more evidence that suggested Ruth's married lover, 44-year-old Jack Halloran, was involved as well. But when a destroyed confession letter resurfaced, exonerating Jack, it seemed Ruth's fate was sealed.
0: That October, if anyone asked, Ruth insisted Jack Halloran was nothing more than a friend. As she said in her letter, he was a decent fellow, who'd been kind to her when she was lonesome. But as time went on, Ruth's facade began to crack.
1: That November of 1931, despite the LAPD's promise to Dr. Judd that she would be placed under psychiatric care, Ruth was transferred from Los Angeles to the Maricopa County Jail in
0: Phoenix. Behind bars, Ruth eventually confessed to her husband that she'd had an affair with Jack, but Dr. Judd gracefully stood by her side. He forgave her and continued to support her throughout the ordeal.
1: But in an interview with a psychiatrist, it was clear that Ruth was losing faith that Jack would do the same. Have you heard from Jack recently?
6: No, but I know he still loves me. He'll send word soon when things settle down.
4: I see. Do you still believe he'll keep his promise?
6: Of course. Jack would never let me hang. He has lots of friends in court. He's figuring it out behind the scenes. You'll see.
4: If you get to court and you see that's not the case, what will you do?
6: If things do not go the way they are planned, believe me, I will get up there and tell them everything.
1: Ruth's trial began on January 19, 1932, in Phoenix, exactly three months after the trunks were discovered. The proceedings lasted three weeks. In that time, neither Ruth nor Jack took the stand.
0: Leading the prosecution was County Attorney Lloyd Andrews, Jack's country club pal.
1: Your
4: Honor, gentlemen of the jury, I stand before you today to prove that Mrs. Winnie Ruth Judd deliberately murdered her best friends in cold blood. The motive? Pure jealousy over the love of one man.
1: Andrews attempted to prove to the jury that Ruth hadn't killed Ann and Sammy in the midst of a fight in the kitchen, but in their beds. Using the blood evidence found in the girl's bedroom, he argued that she'd snuck into the bungalow in the middle of the night and shot them while they slept.
0: And as for the handling of the bodies, Andrews insisted Ruth had acted alone. While it may have seemed far-fetched that a frail woman with a wounded hand could have hauled and precisely cut a human corpse, the prosecution focused on reasons why Halloran's involvement wasn't plausible.
1: For instance, why would a prominent man like Jack Halloran have gone to such lengths to cover up a crime he didn't commit? And if he had... Why wouldn't he have used his own car to dispose of the bodies in the desert instead of bringing the bodies to the train station
0: and risk being caught? They were compelling points, ones that Ruth's defense team couldn't seem to answer. In fact, it wasn't until a week into the trial that the defense even addressed the jury.
1: In a booming theatrical voice, lead defense attorney Paul Shank addressed the court.
3: On the night of October 16th, the defendant, Mrs. Winnie Ruth Judd, arrived at 2929 North 2nd Street to spend an ordinary evening with friends. But the events that transpired were far from typical. We avow to show that the defendant was so insane that she, at that time, if she did this act, was so devoid of reason, she did not know right from wrong.
0: Surprisingly, rather than argue Ruth killed in self-defense, as she'd previously claimed, the defense's strategy was to prove she was insane.
1: Paul Shank was practically famous for his insanity defense. But at the time, insanity pleas were a fairly new concept, and Arizona juries were far more skeptical than the Los Angeles courtrooms he was used to. On February 8, 1932, the jury delivered their verdict.
3: Now, I don't want any outbursts in my courtroom. Have you reached your verdict? We have, Your Honor. Well,
4: go on. We, the jury in the case of Judd versus State, find the defendant guilty.
1: As soon as the word left the foreman's mouth, the courtroom erupted in gasps. Reporters rushed out in a stampede, eager to phone the story to their editors.
0: The only person who didn't react was Ruth. They'd given her the death sentence and she didn't even flinch.
1: Perhaps then she'd already decided she was ready to tell her story.
0: On December 19, 1932, 27-year-old Ruth walked from her cell to a small windowless room. Inside was Maricopa County Sheriff John R. McFadden.
1: Also in the room were one of the sheriff's deputies, a court reporter, the prison warden, and Ruth's current lawyer, O.V. Wilson. Sheriff McFadden was eager to put her story on record, and he wanted witnesses.
3: Now, Ruth, we want to know just what happened out there at the house.
6: You want to know about Thursday night. Sure you do, because it was Thursday night when I introduced Jack Halloran to this girl.
0: As she began to recount that day, the court reporter began to write. They wouldn't stop for the next four hours. Ruth told
1: them how she'd met Lucille Moore, a patient from the clinic who regularly came for syphilis treatments. The two women became friendly, and soon Ruth found out
0: Lucille was an avid hunter. Coincidentally, Jack was also a hunter, so Ruth invited Lucille to meet him. But that Thursday night, while the three were driving to dinner... Jack decided to first stop by Anne and Sammy's. The women
1: greeted and hugged each other, but as soon as Anne saw Lucille in the car, she quickly excused herself and went back into the house. At the time, Ruth didn't think much of it.
0: At work the next day, Anne invited Ruth to come over to the house that evening, and Ruth arrived around 9.30. The three women were chatting and laughing in Sammy and Anne's bedroom when the conversation took a sudden turn.
6: That reminds me, Ruth. How did Jack Halloran ever meet Lucille Moore? Why, I introduced them. You introduced them? (laughs) Yes. She's a nice girl, and she hunts, and so does Jack, so I thought they'd hit it off. Ruth, you do know that Lucille Moore has syphilis. She's a nice girl. What difference does it make? Well, it sure will make a lot of
5: difference to you. We know that he has been over to your house nearly every night since
6: you moved out. That's none of your business. I've half a mind to tell Jack you're having a meetup with Syphilitics. Then he might not want to spend all his time over at your place. Well, I've got plenty of things I can tell people about you. Like what? Every doctor in the clinic thinks you two are in love with each other. Dr. Sweek and Dr. Baldwin have both told me that you were perverts. I denied it. But maybe I'll go ahead and tell them you are. I swear to God, Ruth, I could kill you. There's no need. I'm leaving.
1: Ruth walked out of the bedroom and into the kitchen, her heart pounding. This was no ordinary fight between friends. The three women had set out to destroy each other.
0: By threatening to tell the doctors at the clinic Sammy and Anne were lovers, Ruth had endangered Anne's job. But if Jack thought Ruth was purposefully exposing him to syphilis, he'd break things off in an instant. The thought made her feel sick.
1: Ruth poured herself a glass of milk and took a sip to calm herself down. But as she turned to set the glass on the counter, she saw Sammy
0: coming towards her, holding a gun. I'll kill you, Ruth! Ah! As Sammy charged towards her, Ruth grabbed her hand, trying to wrestle the gun out of her grip. Spotting a bread knife on the table, Ruth then stabbed Sammy in the shoulder and head. But in that same moment, Sammy fired a bullet through Ruth's hand. The two women fell to the floor. Give
6: me that gun! Shoot, Sammy! Shoot her! Shoot her!
0: As Ruth
1: and Sammy struggled for the gun, Anne came behind Ruth with an ironing board
0: and began hitting her over and over on the head. But Ruth managed to get a grip on the gun. And with her hand over Sammy's, Ruth shot Sammy through the chest. Ruth
1: struggled to stand, but Anne, in a fury, kept knocking her down. As soon as Ruth managed to sit up, she fired at Anne.
0: (laughs) Ruth ran back to her apartment in a panic. And there in her driveway, stone drunk, was Jack Halloran. He'd finally showed up.
2: Ruthie, baby! I'm sorry I'm late.
6: (sighs) Oh, God, Jack! Jack! They're dead! Oh, God! Whoa,
2: whoa, slow down. Who's dead, Ruth?
6: We got in a fight, and Sammy had a gun, and I grabbed it, and I shot them both! Oh, my God! I killed them!
2: (laughs) You're imagining things, Ruthie.
6: I did it! I did!
1: Uh, show me. Jack drove Ruth back to the bungalow, and she led him to Ann and Sammy's bodies in the kitchen.
0: Still drunk, Jack stared at the bloody scene. Then, without a word, he picked up Sammy's body and carried her into the bedroom. Then, he mopped up the bloodied kitchen floor.
1: By moving Sammy's body, Jack had inadvertently led detectives into thinking the murder took place in the bedroom which supported the prosecutor's theory that Ruth had killed them in their sleep. And by cleaning up the kitchen, he'd unwittingly undermined Ruth's original self-defense story.
0: But Jack wasn't done. After he mopped the kitchen, he made a call to a doctor, seeing if he could help treat Ruth's injured hand.
1: As Ruth continued her story, she was sobbing so hard she could hardly finish. But the court reporter kept recording her words.
6: And... The next day, when I came back, the trunk was in the living room, and Jack, he said Sammy, had been operated on, but she was dead.
3: (laughs) Now, tell me what happened right before you left the girl's house that night. What did Jack say to you?
6: He scared me of the police. He scared me of the state attorney. I didn't know who the state's attorney was. He told me not to call my husband and that I must not mention this to anyone because he would take care of this himself.
0: As Ruth sobbed, Sheriff McFadden and the others in the room sat in shock. Everything had come together, yet they were left with an awful, unsettled feeling.
1: Everything... The trials, the lies, the murders. They all stemmed from Ruth innocently introducing Jack to Lucille Moore because they both enjoyed hunting. Now, two women were dead, and Jack Halloran's drunken hubris had put a third on death
0: row. Sheriff McFadden attempted to use Ruth's confession to charge Jack as an accessory to Sammy and Ann's murders. But after an initial hearing, Jack was exonerated. So in a last effort to save Ruth's life, she was deemed mentally unfit for execution, 48 hours before she was scheduled to hang.
1: Her sentence was commuted to a mental institution where she lived for the next three decades of her life. She managed to escape seven separate times before being pardoned by the Arizona governor in 1971. Ruth ultimately died at age 93 under a
0: different name. The conclusion of Anne, Leroy, and Sammy Samuelson's story is far from satisfying. And unlike many cases, their killings lack a sense of any justice. Instead, the case of the trunk murders is a story of three vibrant young women whose lives are ripped apart by a struggle for survival.
1: The tragic circumstance of their death highlights how the beautiful parts of our lives, our love, our friendships can be corrupted by a darker reality. And in Sammy's story, it reminds us to let go of that darkness, lest we destroy the things that make us beautiful.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to Solved Murders. We'll be back next Wednesday with a new episode.
1: For more information on The Trunk Murders, amongst the many sources we used, we found The Trunk Murderess by Jana Boomersbach, extremely helpful to our research.
0: You can find all episodes of Solved Murders and all other ParCast Originals for free on Spotify.
1: Well, not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast Originals, like Solved Murders, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker.
0: To stream Solved Murders exclusively on Spotify, just open the app and type Solved Murders in the search bar.
1: We'll see you next time. If we live till next time. Solved Murders True Crime Mysteries was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Isabella Way. This episode of Solve Murders was written by Alex Garland, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Tom Bauer, Tiana Camacho, Harris Markson, Kimlin Tran, Dan Velasquez, and Jen Wong. It stars Wendy McKenzie and Carter Roy.